Church is fun under the big top, isn't it? Yeah. Last night it rained and it was kind of swampy in here. And at 9 o'clock this morning it was, um, what would you say, dark and cold in here. And uh, the Lord is smiling down on the 11 o'clock service. So it must be you. It must be you, right? Happy Father's Day weekend to you. Uh, Dads, we just want to say that we are especially proud of you. You carry one of the toughest callings, one of the toughest responsibilities on planet Earth. And uh, we are really, really proud of you for taking that mantle and running with it really hard and keep that up. And I feel like in my life, I get to be a part of some pretty cool things uh, vocationally, especially there's some special things that I get the privilege of being a part of, but I want you to hear it from my heart that nothing I get to do vocationally or otherwise even holds a candle to the privilege and special thing it is to be dad to those four little kids, Bailey and Dylan and Preston and Jasmine. Nothing holds a candle to that. It is a crazy, wild adventure. And uh, I, I just love being daddy to my kids. And I'm looking forward to a whole bunch more of that in the years ahead. Lots of you, I think, know that my fatherhood is fixing to expand. We're adopting these three kids from Ethiopia. Fabio is 13, his sister Madonna is 10, and then Fabio's best friend and roommate from the children's home is 14. And uh, we found out this week that we got a court date, which is uh, July 3rd is that court date, which is a very, very big deal, sort of the next... Uh, sort of the next benchmark in this whole process. If we pass court, which is what I would ask you to pray about, that we would pass court on July the 3rd and wouldn't have to redo court, that all our paperwork would be in good order and that the judge would find favorably in our case, in our kids' case. And then that means if we pass court, we could be going to get those kids six or eight weeks later. Uh, And we just greatly appreciate your prayers on that front. Thank you for standing with us. And it is Father's Day, so men, I'm going to be talking primarily to you Today I'm talking to dads, and yet at some level just men in general. Women, don't tune this out, because it is relevant to you. But really at the core, it is my intent to talk to men who serve as fathers and grandfathers, mentors, even just supervisors of other people. Now, you might be a young man sitting in this room, and you're like, well, I'm not a father, I'm not a grandfather, I'm not even a supervisor or a mentor of anyone. Don't tune this out please, because the picture that I hope to paint in the time we're together today is God's calling on your life, the invitation that God is asking you to step into, and the sooner you figure that out, the better your life will go. There's a whole bunch of us who are sort of playing catch up with what God's vision of manhood and fatherhood and so on is, and the sooner, you you don't have to do that. You could get it right now and just start out on that course. Young ladies, you especially, please do not tune this out. Because the vision that I hope to cast today is really the portrait of the kind of man that you'll want to look for as you start to think about the guy that you want to spend the rest of your life with, the guy that you want to marry, the guy you want to be the father of your children, and so on. So this is relevant. Catch this vision and catch this picture. The frame through which we want to set up and look through this conversation with men today, fathers, grandfathers, mentors, supervisors, is the second letter from a guy named Paul to a church to the Christians, frankly, who lived in a place called Thessalonica. Heck of a name of a town, Thessalonica. Now, Paul never fathered any kids in the physical sense. And yet, at the same time, he's one of the most prolific spiritual fathers to ever walk the earth. His insights, thus, are invaluable to us. If you've got a Bible, there's nothing going to show up on that screen. But if you've got a Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, here's what the text says. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 13. As for us... We can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing that you do and say. Paul's tapping into something here that's just true of human beings. We all require encouragement. 
Every single one of us require encouragement because you know this, you feel it on a daily basis. Discouragement so easily creeps into our lives. It steals our joy. And Paul, he looks on at this church community, this church community that really for him became sort of an extended family, this church community that he started in the city of Thessalonica sometime prior. He takes note of the landscape of that church community and he notices they are quite discouraged. I need to do something to encourage them. And so he extends through what really is a letter from dad kind of tone and invites them to God's calling upon their lives. He encourages them to God's best for them. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Men, one of the greatest gifts you can give to anyone in your sphere of influence, whether it's your kids or whether it's people you supervise in your workplace, is to be a source of encouragement to them. To be a source of encouragement. People of every age require regular and ongoing infusions of hope and courage. The pressures and demands that are crushing in on every single one of us these days are almost unimaginable for those who lived in previous generations. Us men infusing encouragement into the anxieties and into the fears and into the hurts that plague our families, our children, our wives, our coworkers, absolutely requires first and foremost that we step outside of ourselves, that we realize that life is not just about us, but it is about other people in our lives. And guys, that is a very difficult thing to do. It's much more easy just to think about us, just to look out for number one, just to be about what we want to be about. One dad he prayed quite a famous prayer. He said this, Dear Lord, I want to thank you for being so close to me this day. By your grace, I've not been impatient. I've not lost my temper. I've not been grumpy. I've not been judgmental. I've not been frustrated with anyone. But I will be getting out of bed now, and I think I will really need more of your help then. Amen, he said. And that is just the honest truth, is it not? Being a regular and ongoing source of encouragement to others is absolutely impossible if we try to do it in our own strength or how, out of just how naturally lovable other people are, how naturally loving we are. We'll just never make it. We don't have that kind of love resident inside of us. Heard another story about a child psychologist, and his hobby was concrete. And so one day, on a day off, he stayed home, and he spent the whole day constructing a brand-new driveway for his home. It was beautiful. He had just finished smoothing the surface of this freshly poured concrete. His small children, they were playing nearby. A soccer ball bounced onto that freshly poured concrete, all smooth and beautiful. And his young children, they chased the ball as kids are wont to do out onto that freshly poured concrete, leaving very deep, very prominent footprints across the whole thing. The man let loose a violent torrent of angry words at his kids, screaming and scaring them right off of the concrete, weeping and crying. They scurried away from their dad. His sweet wife was standing nearby, and she was looking onto this whole scene, and she said, what in the world are you doing? You're a child psychologist. You're supposed to love children. The fuming man retorted loudly, I love kids in the abstract, not in the concrete. It's much easier to love the idea of children, is it not? It's much easier to love the idea of other people than it is to actually do it in the concrete. But guys, if we ever hope to be a source of encouragement to other people, we must constantly be experiencing the encouragement of God ourselves. We must be drinking in deeply of the love and encouragement of God himself. I do not care how positive a person you might be. No one on planet earth will just inspire you to encourage them. We don't have that level of positivity resident in us. That means men that our very first task toward encouraging our families, our kids, the people we supervise, the people we mentor, is to be personally experiencing and drinking in, soaking up the love and encouragement of God. Paul says in verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers 
and sisters loved by the Lord. And then listen to verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Paul's reminding the church, reminding us of the incredible love that God has for every single one of us. God's love is the kind of love that profoundly encourages us, profoundly strengthens us. It gives us the hope and courage to face whatever it is that's in front of us. But we must set ourselves in a posture to drink it in, to take it in, to soak it up. God loves you not because you're good. God loves you not because of what you've achieved. God loves you not because you love him. God loves you simply because for no other reason other than you are his. You're his. Children of his. You can almost envision God sitting up in the heavens, elbowing to the angels, saying, you see that one right there? He's mine. And you see that one right there? She's mine. See that one right there? He's created in my image. See all those right there? I'm sending my one and only son. I sent my one and only son to die for them. They're going to spend all of eternity with me. That's just who God is. That's just the level at which he functions. Love and encouragement. And see, men, us experiencing God's encouragement, it's the spiritual equivalent of the message that's behind the Gatorade ad that asks, is it in you? Is it in you? We will not be great encouragers to our families, to our kids, to our wife, to the people we supervise, the people we mentor, unless we're regularly experiencing the love of God our Father so that His love is resident in us. So it isn't just something that we hear about or know about or occasionally swing into, but so that His love is actually resident in us. The very best person in all of human history of what it means to be a loving man, an encouraging man, understood this very, very well. Jesus Christ, in Mark 1.35, we pick up the story. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Now remember, Jesus Christ is God. He's God. And he himself could not maintain a life of love, a life of encouragement, without continually experiencing, drinking in, soaking in, basking in God's love. And so how are you doing at that, guys? How are you doing at that? I'm sorry to say, but 75 minutes in a church service once a week is not the answer. Even on those occasional weeks when you stretch out to like 80 minutes, that's not the answer either. It's only part of the answer. We must set ourselves in a posture to soak in God's love and encouragement for us. You can do that certainly through reading God's word. You can do that certainly through listening prayer. What if we just closed our mouth more often in prayer and we just did a whole lot more listening? God, what do you have for me? God, I just want to hear from you. You can do it through a simple devotional book. I don't care what it is. I don't care how it is. We just simply must do it because we cannot love enough on our own. It isn't resident in us. Nothing except regularly experiencing the love of God is enough to keep our soul's tank topped off. Is it in you? The people in our lives who need us to be an encouragement to them they will not always behave in such a way that we'll just treat them in the way that they need to be treated. I promise they won't. We got to do something. We got to go someplace. We got to open ourselves up in some way to ensure that we have God's love, God's encouragement streaming into our lives. And when we do, one of the best ways that we can encourage our kids and our families is then to celebrate the stuff in their lives to celebrate the great stuff in our families, in our kids, in our coworkers, in the people we mentor and supervise, to celebrate the great stuff in their lives. Because when we're filled up with the love of God himself, his encouragement and love, it's just going to overflow out of us into the lives of people all around us. That overflowing encouragement then is the catalyst for all of that celebrating. The best way that we encourage our kids, dads, is by celebrating their wins celebrating their wins. I know that a whole bunch of us in this room, men, we grew up in homes where the very, our parents thought that the very best way to strengthen and grow us and mature us was by constantly critiquing us. And so they did it. Almost with a vengeance, they did it, right? 
but it doesn't work that way. Yes, our kids absolutely need challenge. I'll talk about that in a moment. But what about actually catching our kids, catching our kids doing the right thing, doing the good thing, doing the healthy thing? I'm trying very, very hard with our four kids to, do, to learn to do this more and more right now. It's a developing work in me. But every once in a while, I'll just sort of slide up next to one of them and I go, hey, come with me. And they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? I'm like, no, no, settle down. That tells me a little something, does it? So we go into a quiet room and I just put them on my lap and I just go, you know, I just want to tell you what an awesome job you did when you shared with your sister or when you had a choice whether or not to smash your brother's head and didn't. When you, I saw how you chose to tell the truth. And I just want to say, great job, way to go, keep that up, I'm really proud of you. And they're like, oh, this is cool. And we go out of the room and we open up the door and there the other three kids are with their ears pressed up like, <laughs> they're looking up like, what, what, what do you do? I'm like, nothing, nothing. And then I tell them. I was just encouraging them for doing such and such. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And then they go hit each other. Just kidding. That kind of encouragement has a motivating, has a lifting effect on the whole family. It just does. After decades and decades of research, the Gallup organization has demonstrated absolutely beyond the shadow of any doubt that you can accelerate and improve the performance of a leader far more by celebrating his or her strengths and building on those than you can by just critiquing weaknesses. Why? Because calling out great stuff in people gives them the strength and the hope and the boldness and the courage that they need to face whatever is challenging to them, whatever is difficult to them, whatever seems insurmountable to them. Now, it's Father's Day, but dads, what if we turn this thing around today, today, and we went home and we scooped up our kids and we set them on our laps and we said, I just want to tell you right here and right now how great it is that you fill in the blank. I love it when you fill in the blank. I'm so proud of you because fill in the blank and turn that kind of encouragement onto our kids today on Father's Day. Now, some of us have kids who live thousands of miles away. You probably need to pick up the phone today and just do that over the phone. Some of you need to send an email today. Some of you need to pen a letter today encouraging your kids, telling them how valuable they are, telling them that you appreciate this and that. Be very specific in that. Don't be vague or general. Be very specific. When you do this, when you say this, when I saw this, prop it up, lift it up. Imagine the encouragement that would infuse into the whole culture of your family today on what is supposed to be Father's Day. Now, we also encourage our kids greatly when we challenge them. We just do. We encourage our kids greatly when we challenge them. And this encouragement deal, it takes all shapes and sizes. There will be times, I promise, there will be times when our encouragement of our kids and those we supervise, those we mentor and so on, it doesn't make the person feel great in the short term because we're pressing on them in order to develop them in the long term, to develop greatness in them over the long term. Often we encourage our kids best not by coddling, but by challenging by calling them to a higher bar than the one that they're living under at this moment. James 1.4 speaks to this very thing. James talks about how God wants us to have an endurance that is fully developed so that you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That means that God sometimes, very often, presses in on us, challenging us. And that squeeze never feels very good, does it? But for the long-term development of our souls, it's very good. And you take that same principle and ask the question, dads, how could we encourage our kids the very same way? By calling them to a higher bar than the one that they're living under right now. I know it is absolutely brutal to watch our kids struggle at something when we could just take the struggle away, take the pain away, take the difficulty away and make it so easy for them. But we encourage our kids, we encourage those we influence by letting those challenges stick to their lives, letting them develop their character. We're pretty early on in the development of our kids over at our house, but I see this play out. It most of the time plays out when it comes time for our boys in particular to clean up their room. 
Now, they'll spend a whole five or six hours making an absolute wreck of their room. You've never seen anything like it. I promise you. Three feet of stuff across their whole room. You can't even get across it. Sometimes I can't even find my kids in it. Like, are you in here or not? And I go in there and I say, all right, it's now time to clean up. And they just look at me like, what? What? I say, no, really, it's time to clean up. Is, it, is this just me? Is this just us? Oh, good. That makes me feel better. Maybe it was just a preacher's kid deal, something like that. <laughs> no, really, it's time to clean up. And so they'll, they'll set about it, you know, like this. And I'm like, I'm just watching. No, no, you don't get it. I'm talking like pick stuff up and put it away, like armloads of stuff. And they do that for a moment. And then one of our sons, I won't tell you which one, he'll just look up and start crying. Like what? It's cleaning up. Daddy, I can't do it. (laughs) You can't do it. Daddy, no. It's too hard. I'm like, you made this mess for five or six hours. You've been making this mess, dumping stuff over and having a ball. And now it's time to, I can't do it. And I kind of sometimes feel like a jerk because I just stand there with my hands on my hips, supervising, making sure they're getting after it. And he just cries and cries and cries the whole time makes me feel very badly. (laughs) But I need him to know that there's not always going to be somebody that comes along behind him and picks up his messes. That's an incredibly important lesson for our kids, even with something as simple as cleaning up their room. This stuff later in life has consequences that you actually have responsibility for your own actions. You mess up your room, you pick up your room. We make those challenges stick in order to develop their character over the long haul. And it's easy to talk about challenging our kids to a higher bar, but men, how is God right here, right now, challenging you to a higher bar? How is he pressing in on your soul, inviting you to a new place, a higher place, a deeper place with him? And sometimes dads, One of the very most encouraging things we can do for our kids is to clear the way for them. One of the very most encouraging things often we can do for our kids is to clear the way. Sometimes the best way is by celebrating. Sometimes by challenging. Sometimes it's by just clearing away all obstacles. Why? Well, because, see, sometimes the people who we love and care about the most in our lives, our kids, our wife, those we mentor, supervise, Sometimes they just don't have the strength to overcome those obstacles. And they need us to come in like Big Daddy and just clear the way, just make it smooth, make a hole, make a way, whatever it is, just to clear it out. I ran across a Sports Illustrated article from a few years back. It was about an unusual member of the Northwest High football team in McDermott, Ohio. Jake Porter was his name. He was born with a syndrome called Fragile X. Fragile X is a chromosomal condition that causes mental retardation. However, despite his quite serious handicap, Jake Porter loves football. He attended every single practice. He bounced up and down with joy at the very sight of his fellow teammates. And in his senior year, Dave Franz, the Northwest High football coach, decided to honor Jake's heart and Jake's commitment to his team. Before a game against Waverly High, Coach Franz called Derek DeWitt, the head coach at Waverly. The two worked out an agreement to let Jake run one play at the very end of the game. The plan was for Jake to get the ball, take a knee, the clock would run out, and the game would end. With five seconds left in the appointed game, Waverly was leading Northwest 42 to nothing. It was a crushing defeat. Coach Franz called a timeout. Jake was called into Northwest Huddle. The two coaches, they met at midfield. And Rick Riley of Sports Illustrated picks up the story. He wrote this. Fans could see there was some kind of a disagreement between the coaches. Coach DeWitt was shaking his head and waving his arms. After a ref stepped in, play resumed and Jake got the ball. He started to genuflect. He started to kneel as he'd practiced all week. Teammates stopped him mid-kneel, however, and told him instead to run. But Jake started running in the wrong direction. 
The backfield judge was standing there and rerouted him toward the line of scrimmage. And as a very determined Jake Porter ran toward the apparent mauling by the absolutely enormous Waverly defense, suddenly the Waverly defense parted like peasants for a king. Suddenly, Jake was not just one boy alone. He was surrounded in that moment by 21 teammates, all urging him to go for the goal. In the stands, as you could well imagine, mothers were weeping and fathers were roaring. Players on both sidelines held their helmets to the sky and whooped and whooped and whooped. Apparently, when the coaches met before, just before the big play, Franz reminded Coach DeWitt of the plan that Jake would simply get the ball and take a knee, but Coach DeWitt was not at all satisfied with that. He said, no, I want your boy to score. Franz objected, but DeWitt insisted. DeWitt then called his defense over and said, they're going to give the ball to number 45. When they do, I want you to just open up a hole and let him score. Just let him go. And because of that, Jake had the run of his life with arms churning and face grinning, Jake Porter scored the touchdown heard round the world. He claimed his varsity letter because of that one play. Dad, sometimes one of the most encouraging things we can do is open a hole to clear away obstacles for our kids. How are you doing that? Where are you doing that? Where is it needed right now today? What obstacle could you just take out of play? so that you could give your kids the hope and courage to know that they can make it to the goal line. Sometimes, just clearing it out, that's the most encouraging thing we could ever do for our kids. Now, I know that there are dads sitting in this room right now who are going, all right, how do I do any of this? How do I even start to encourage my kids if I don't have a relationship with them? I'm sure there's dads sitting here today that are thinking, I've blown it so badly as a dad, there's no way that I could ever reclaim that or clean it up. There's a really good chance, frankly, that we have blown it quite severely with our kids, me included. After all, for a whole bunch of us sitting in this room, our example of fatherhood was not very good. And so we're simply living out of the modeling that we received growing up. As a result of all that, maybe we've really botched it. And I'd like on that note to invite our friend Sam Summers to come up and his daughter Jenny. Jenny is the youngest of four girls in the Summers family. Now, you might recognize Sam as one of the pastors from Journey. But today I want you to hear that Sam is taking off his pastor hat and just putting on his dad hat for a very candid conversation. Sam knows full well what it is to face the challenges of a family. And he's just going to share with us a little bit about that now. Thanks very much for this. Welcome. Really nice of you. Uh, Sam, would you just share a little bit about your upbringing, a little bit about your father experience, how that went and how that sort of shaped the dad you are, person you are today? Uh, well, I started out in eastern Oregon, and uh, my natural father was, was uh, probably unfaithful to my mom from the word go, so it wasn't, it wasn't a great uh, marriage situation, but... As I came along, my mother was 40 when I was born, so uh, late in life, I don't think uh, my dad necessarily thought, oh, this is a great thing that's going on here. So, so uh, long and the short of it is, between alcohol and, and just a lot of violence, um, uh, my dad would uh, uh, beat, beat my mom, and uh, I don't remember very many things about my upbringing early on except uh, a few kind of snapshots. And uh, I remember my, my dad standing in the middle of, my, uh, of our living room, and I had to be around five or so, I suppose, but I remember looking up, and, and uh, he looked really large at that point. And, uh, but he was standing in the living room with a, uh, with a TV in his hands, and the TVs back then were very large. They're not like they are now. So he had this monster TV in his arms, and he, and he said, I'm going to throw this blankety-blank thing right through the window. And he was, he was uh, drunk and uh, angry about something about the TV. So I remember thinking, boy, that's, that's, that's going to be... A bad deal, and I, I honestly don't remember much after that of that situation. But long and short of it is, uh, after beating up my mom a bit, and uh, uh, on several occasions we left and, and uh, went to the Willamette Valley to live with my uncle for a while. And on Christmas Day, my dad was angry about us not coming home, and he took his life uh, 
uh, on Christmas Day. And uh, so you're that, how old? Pardon? You're how I'm old? Seven. Yeah, seven, seven when your dad yeah. took his life. So, so that kind of ended that chapter of my natural dad. But uh, obviously, uh, really no no modeling there. Well, there was modeling going on, but it just yeah. wasn't good modeling. So. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my mom remarried about two years uh, later, and uh, this fella uh, was an old family friend. And uh, we added alcohol, uh, we added gambling to alcohol at that point, and uh, uh, I kind of came along with the package. I don't think he was really interested in having a child. He wanted to marry my mom. And so he'd be very abusive uh, to my mom. Uh, but uh, I remember one thing that stands out uh, was uh, we lived in a, out in the kind of a forested area, in a, in a mobile home, and uh, uh, he came home one day and said, you know, uh, I'm pretty upset, and I had made some, uh, over the last few months, large models of ships, aircraft carriers, airplanes, things like that, things that I found that I like to do with nothing to do, and um, uh, he took those models, took them out on the deck, and stomped them all into small pieces, and he said, when I was a kid, we made all of our stuff out of wood, you go find something to do with, with the scraps of wood and stuff like that that we have around the around the area. So that was not really endearing to me. You know, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't an endearing least. And uh, you know, it wasn't a great model of parenting either. And my mom divorced him about two years after that. And uh, uh, so now I'm in seventh grade, and my mom remarries again to a fellow who was 45 years old and never had any children before, wasn't married before. And uh, he uh, gets my mom and a seventh grader this time. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, Package this, deal. Yeah, that's right. That's not, that's not fair to any man to do that in some ways, but for with me anyway as a child. I was fairly angry by then and wasn't very trusting of anybody that, that had the word father by their name. Yeah. And, uh, but we had a pretty stable home life and it, you know, it leveled out a bit, but he was so quiet and really didn't know what to do with me through junior high and early high school that um, uh, just really there, wasn't, there was really no personal talk or relating to me at all in that regard. And, if it wasn't for the fact that halfway through high school uh, I accepted Christ as my Savior uh, through the student ministry, and I said this in every service, so I'll say it now. I don't know if the guys are here, but go student ministry. Yeah. That's good stuff. We are so yeah. thankful for, for uh, junior high and high school ministry um, that uh, if I hadn't done that, I would not have the family that I, that I have today guaranteed. My, my anger, my own pride and self-justification in that time of life would have torpedoed any marriage, I'm sure, at that point. But I still carried all that stuff with me, even though I accepted Christ. And uh, so uh, I, I uh, pretty much carried all of that into the, the next part of my life. Yeah, which would be you sort of grow up, and you meet Connie, and you get married, and you start having kids of your own. How did all of that uh, bad modeling do in your marriage and family life? How'd that help yeah, you? Well, I suppose for all of you that are here, you know, if you're married, uh, did marriage correct all that stuff? <laughs> Probably not, right? No. Uh, marriage doesn't tend to correct those things. It tends to reveal those things, right? So my wife, you know, I, I wanted a great marriage. I have to admit, folks, I wanted a great marriage, and my, I, was, I was a Christian at that time, but I still had a lot of anger and a lot of trouble in, in my spirit and my soul, and my wife it was uh, uh, very gracious those years, and so then children come along. So you've got uh, self-justification, pride, uh, anger, and children. And so <laughs> that's a winning combination right there, I'll tell you what. So, so uh, bottom line is uh, uh, I began to parent uh, the way I felt was the right way to parent, which is pretty much my way or the highway. That's just how you operate. And uh, so the uh, problem is uh, I had four, or three, or two daughters at that time, and... Uh, uh, it was just not going well. And my daughter, oldest daughter and I were having a discussion one day. Uh, and uh, it's actually an argument, I suppose, actually, was what it would be. <laughs> discussion, and, uh, right? Discussion. discussion yes. We were discussing right. things. And I was <laughs> showing her how wrong she was. And uh, so, uh, so uh, at that point, um, she turned and went down the hall in tears. And, and I actually I wasn't done with the discussion yet. So I followed her. And I was heading on the way down to her room to to continue the discussion. And uh, my wife stepped in front of me, uh, and I've shared this a couple of other times at Ignite and a couple of other places, uh, that uh, that was a, a meaningful time in my life because she said, you know, Sam, if you're going to keep treating her that way, you're going to lose her. And uh, kind of a, I would say, a values clarification moment. You know, it's like, uh, 
let me think about that a little bit. I have to, so, so that, you know, I began to do a little changing there, but then my second daughter, Carrie, comes along, and uh, she's very verbal, and, and uh, uh, we would have verbal sparring matches. You know, I'd be sarcastic, <laughs> she'd be sarcastic, which is not really what I wanted. You know? so, so I began to uh, see, you know, I'm kind of feeling her distancing herself from me as well. And uh, I began to see both these daughters uh, kind of uh, moving away, and I thought, that I've got to do something about this. I need to change. And so I went into Carrie's room specifically that day, and I said, you know, Carrie, uh, I've been reading recently in, the, uh, in Proverbs, it says, Proverbs 16.32 says, better a warrior than a man who takes a city. Excuse me, better a, I'm sorry, better a patient man than a man that is a warrior, and better a man who controls his temper than a man that takes a city. Kind of paraphrasing it there. So in other words, holding your, holding your uh, temper and dealing with that a different way is better than a person that can even rise up and take a city physically. And I said, I'd like you to, I'd like you to uh, remind me of that whenever I'm sarcastic with you. And if, I, if ever, Carrie, if I, if I offend you or if I am uh, sarcastic with you, I, every time I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I, and I hope you will. hope you'll forgive me. And so that kind of began a, a kind of a new era in our family life. And... Uh, uh, she began to do that. I began to do that. I began to do that with my wife, my kids. But it was at that point that I realized that I had an issue here, and if it didn't change, it was going to affect my family. Yeah, way to go. So, Jenny, uh, your dad decides to sort of make a culture shift in your family. Uh, how did that go? How did it affect you? What did life look like after that? Well, like Brian said, I'm the fourth of all the girls, and so I didn't Can really... I call you the baby? Is that all right? Sure. Yeah, Lots all of right. people do. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, he had made all these changes before I came along, and by the time I came along, they, they were a pretty big part of his life. Um, so he was actually acting those things out on a regular basis. And um, the one thing, though, that I remember is that my bad decisions really tested how he would put those into practice. So it wasn't just the easy situations where he was wrong, but when I was wrong, how he responded to my bad decisions um, really, really tested him on, on the new morals that he put, put into practice. And um, one of the most monumental points in my life was um, later on in high school, at the very end of my high school career, um, I was just making some horrible decisions in my life. And um, I knew that my parents completely disagreed with everything that I was doing. And um, I was just headstrong, and, you know, I don't really care what you guys think. I'm just going to do my own thing. And um, all my bad decisions kind of came up to a climax in, in the very end of my high school career, and um, I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just done. I'm going to leave. So I ran away. I left my house and my family. And, um, and a few days had gone by, and I decided, you know, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to get my stuff, and I'm going to live my own life and do my own thing. And so I fully intended to walk into my house and just do exactly that. But um, because my dad had, had made it such a big point to continue in what he believed was true, um, I walked in the back door and walked in on my dad sitting on the couch, and he was deep in prayer and reading the word. And that was a, a huge reality check for me. And so I was trying to keep my head straight, and I'm just going to do my thing. So I walked into my mom's bedroom, and or my parents' bedroom, and there was my mom doing the exact same thing, praying really hard for me, I knew, and um, just reading the word. And so at that point, I realized that, you know, it wasn't, it really wasn't about them trying to make a trophy kid, this perfect kid that they could show to all their friends and just say, look how great we did as parents. And, um, and being the fourth one, I, I think I always just tried to be my own person, even though I had these three pretty much people that looked just like me and oh you're a summer's daughter yes i am <laughs> and so um that was just a huge monu monumental point um in my life and um so yeah i just realized that my dad had been putting those things into practice and that instead of making me just their own little robot kid that was doing the right thing that they really did have the best in mind for me so Sam, from your side, she walks into the house, and you must have responded in a way that sort of captured your daughter's heart. What did you do? How'd that go? Well, at that point, in all honesty, uh, <clears throat> you know, you hear these testimonies of uh, people, and you kind of go, whoa, this guy's always reading the Bible, and he's always praying. <laughs> and, 
That's all you ever do. <laughs> That's all I ever do. But as parents, we kind of know, you know, your parent or your kids can absolutely scare the crap out of you, can't they? You know? Yes. They can absolutely that scare down. you to death. Okay. Would you like me to spell that? <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, we were very fearful. And, uh, you know, I look back over my, my life there and I was thinking, oh, that time of life, and I was thinking, you know, that all the things that I was doing were making some changes, but uh, they were... They were uh, new things always keep coming up, and so it kept forcing me back to saying, "Am I going to still live this way or not?" Yeah. And I, I guess in the whole process, uh, you know, I look back over all my daughters, and they've all had, they've all all challenged me in different ways to do things uh, correctly with them. But um, all I wanted was my my daughters to respect me, and sometimes when they didn't respect me, I I operated out of fear, and so I would, you know, go my way or the highway early on and even with Jenny you know, I would I would want to revert back to that at times mm-hmm. and so uh, the problem is uh, you know you can't demand respect you can't demand that you have to live that out by being consistent by, by uh, loving them sacrificially and uh, developing trust and keeping a good relationship and so re- respect was a big thing for me and I realize now that I can't demand it and that when I started respecting my kids and we began to operate with mutual respect, uh, even discipline and even the, thing, the tough times went better and ended up being more productive and eventually coming out to a, to a good end. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm very thankful that all four of my daughters like to come home and we're in the right relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a big deal. Yes, it is. So, um, anyway, long and the short of it is, um, respect is a big deal. When I don't act, didn't act respectfully and began to change those things, forgiveness was an even bigger deal. And uh, when I, I have to say that all my wife and my daughters really wanted from me was to be able to say, when you're wrong, just admit that. Yeah. You know, uh, self-justification, proving that you're right even when you're wrong, doesn't get you the respect that you want, doesn't get you the things that, that uh, you're aiming at. And so uh, to, to just see that I, w- I would come and say I'm wrong and, I, uh, and ask them to forgive it was a big deal, yeah. and uh, so I'm, I'm seeing that. Well, I'll share that in a minute. Yeah. yeah. So, any insights that you learned from your family growing up that you've uh, you're married now, right? And uh, no kids on the way yet. Anything you want to share with? <laughs> yeah. All right. No. Uh, and so, any insights that you bring into your marriage from your growing up years? Too many things. Yeah. Um, I like even brainstorming for this. I was like, man. I know I like to talk, but this probably isn't the time to just unload everything that my parents taught me. Um, you can write a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the biggest thing to me that, that stood out was that, like, my parents and parents in general, they didn't always have the right answers. A lot of times they were just like, you know, we don't, we don't know. And that's okay, especially as a kid, to hear parents say, you know, I, I don't know, um, mm. but let's team up. Let's figure that out together. And... Um, Dad was a huge team player, and so was Mom, just to say, you know what, that is new for me. This whole situation is new for me. Let's do this together. Yeah. Um, and like Dad said, when he admitted he was wrong, to me it was just like it brought the whole heightened situation just down so many notches to be able to handle that um, in just a more loving, respectful way. And I respected him for him being able to say, I have no idea, or I was wrong. Um, and the respect that developed between me and my dad, um, especially, it made me realize, okay, so in my life, he, this is what he did. In my relationships now, I'm, I'm trying to apply the same things, and it's even in college especially when I was making brand new friends, it's a whole new situation, um, to be able to use those, those things that he taught me of when you're wrong, you admit you're wrong, and, and if you've hurt someone, you go to them and you ask for their forgiveness, and that is a huge that's just huge mm. for my relationships. And now in marriage, too, like yeah. dad said, people who are married, you know that that's got to be one of the biggest things that you learn well yeah. to be able to go to somebody and say, bummer, I was wrong, really wrong sometimes, but will you forgive me? And that just really definitely um, just built our relationship and created even a, a deeper intimacy. Great. One more thing, Sam? Yeah, I just, I think um, giving your your kids the blessing is something I read about a, long, a lot of years ago and I've been working on it along the way but I, I think the summing up blessing to me uh, to my, my daughters has been um, 
saying, I will, I will always love you. And uh, that, uh, that love comes across in pretty sacrificial ways sometimes. Not very much fun to, to be asked to do things over and over again that were just sacrificial. And yet, yeah. uh, they, they bring that up now as what was meaningful to them. And then secondly, to see my daughter Carrie was uh, here in the other services. Um, she has a little 19-year-old girl, and I, I, um, I watched that little kid growing up and um, she, you know, 19 months, so, uh, I said 19 year old, nine, 19 month old, <laughs> yeah. little 19 month old. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, makes you really old. That's Sam. right. She's really old. <laughs> um, uh, when Bella will say, you know, something really, she'll just scream at you or something like that because she's frustrated about something. Yeah. Perry will say, now Bella, that's not the way you talk to somebody. What do you say? And without being coached now, obviously early on it was a, how do you do this? Uh, Bella at 19 months will say, "I'm sorry," you know, and change. Yeah. You know, and I I see the the benefit over and over again. And so, uh, changing for me <clears throat> has been well worth it uh, because of the things that have come along after that in my family and giving them the blessing of change and unconditional love has been a big deal. Yeah. Wow. What do you think, Sam and Jenny, for that? What a gift. What a gift. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads, and I just invite you to go to prayer, if you would, and just tell God what you're thinking about. Tell Him what's on your heart. Would you just stay in a posture of prayer in these next moments? Dads, what could you be about today to leverage that gift of encouragement in the lives of your kids, in the lives of your family? Maybe you need to get in the car right after the service and you just need to apologize to your kids. Maybe you just need to seek their forgiveness before you even start the car. Maybe forgiveness going back several years, even. Do that. If that's what you need to do, just, just do it. It'll be the best thing you ever did. Maybe, dads, you need to soak up and experience the love and encouragement of God more regularly and differently than you're doing right now. You need to prioritize spending time with Him. Maybe, dads, you need to be about celebrating the wins in your kids' lives. Put away the critique sheet and just start celebrating the wins. I saw how you... Way to go when you... Keep that up. Maybe your kids feel like there's quite a low bar in your household and you need to encourage them by challenging them to a higher bar. Press in a bit with them. Maybe your kids have some obstacles and you could just clear them. Make a hole right through them like they aren't even there to encourage your kids. Whatever it is that God's challenging you to do today, just do that business, hard business perhaps. Just do that business with God. Drive those commitments and drive those decisions like a deep stake in the ground. And ask God to call you back to that. And maybe there's some of you sitting under this tent today. You have yet to step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. What's keeping you today from experiencing God's love, from experiencing God's encouragement, from experiencing God's forgiveness right here, right now? What's keeping you? What's holding you back? 
Truth is that once upon a time, long, long ago, God our Father looked upon us, every one of us, his children, and he saw that we lacked any ability whatsoever to reach the end zone on our own. And so God himself called out a play. And his one and only son, Jesus Christ, opened up a hole, made a way right through the wall of sin and death so that we could run right across the goal line into the end zone, grinning ear to ear because of what God did for us. The gift of a relationship with God can start right now, very simply. And you can make that choice by praying along with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes something like this. God, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that you love me. And I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way, to clear the way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. And today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. God, it wasn't anything you did. It's about me and what I did. And God, I believe that because of your love and nothing else, that Jesus died on the cross for me. Please forgive me. Please send Jesus to live inside of me. Please, God, starting today, become my friend. Please, God, start changing me. Please, God, start cleaning me up. And God, please start being an encouragement to me as only you can be. That choice to give your life to Jesus Christ is the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. And it's such a big deal that around here we ask people to tell us when they make that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right here, right now. Nobody's looking around this tent but me. Nobody's going to embarrass you. If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold? Would you just step out and step up right now and just say yes by raising your hand and making eye contact with me and say yes. I invited Jesus into my life right here today. Yeah, way to go. Right now, God is changing you and you right there, both of you, right now. You're all new and God's forgiveness and encouragement and love is washing over you and right there, right now, you're a daughter of God. Are there any others? Please just make sure I don't miss you. And you right there, God's changing you right now. Life will not ever be the same. His forgiveness is washing over you. His encouragement is infusing you. Way to go. God, thank you so much for being the perfect example of what a father is supposed to be. And God, we as dads here on earth, we blow it. And yet you love us and encourage us the same. And you challenge us to seek forgiveness and to press back in and to wipe the slate clean and to start all over again. God, I pray that we would be the kind of father that you are. Unconditionally loving celebrating, challenging, clearing, inviting our kids, God, to know you and serve you and yield their lives to you. It's way too hard for us to do this by ourselves. So infuse us with your love and your encouragement, your empowerment, God. We're all yours and we're so grateful for you and for your son, Jesus. A savior of our souls. And we pray this in his holy name. And the church said, amen.